Welcome to For the Record, in which we take one new album at a time and get into an in-depth discussion about it. We're now on BFFFM Thursdays at 9.30 a.m., or you can subscribe to the podcast at ForTheRecordPodcast.com. And this week, Spoon. I pay the first track off of Spoon's new album, They Want My Soul. I think it's interesting that after four years away, they're coming back with a song that very much says we are still the same band. And that was, I think, when I heard this song, I just thought, hey, that's a Spoon song. Like it just sounds so much like their earlier stuff. It's almost a weakness, but maybe again, coming back from a time away, good to ease people back into the new album. And I really love how his voice has aged hearing this song. I mean, you know, in preparing to do the show, I was listening to a playlist of all my old Spoon albums. And, you know, if you listen to Girls Can Tell, which came out in 2001, his voice just sounds so much younger and smoother. And I just love how it's gotten so much wear and tear now. And it sounds just kind of more gravelly and snarly. And it's very appropriate for the material in this album. Yeah, I think Spoon is a band throughout everything I've heard of theirs always has a a real restraint, a real minimalism to it that the songs don't do anything more than they need to. And having a voice with a little more texture to it, having a little more heft to it, I think works well with that, that the voice can kind of just say, hey, we've been around and there's there's some experience behind that. And I think certainly the minimalism carries through, but I think having said, hey, we're, hey, we're back, this song really is an introduction, and then the song proceeds to go through three different phases or acts, 10 total tracks, and I think three songs per, and it follows really an arc that's really powerful, and I read as a story of a relationship that there are three songs about a relationship getting started, a three songs about kind of a middle disillusionment phase, and three songs about the breakup uh, and end of that relationship. So the second track, we get right into that start of a relationship phase with the song Inside Out. Time's gone inside out Time gets to start it
love how this album starts out with this just real one-two punch. The story of the album is that there were two producers. They started out with Joe Ciccarelli, who's a kind of an industry veteran and has done a lot of mainstream artists like Alanis Morissette. And then they switched over to Dave Friedman, who's probably best known for his work with the Flaming Lips. And he has a much more spacey, experimental, effects-heavy sound, which is interesting because Spoon is so well known for their minimalism that I think that was an interesting idea to choose for a producer. But anyway, you can really hear the difference on these first two tracks where you have Ren I Pay being really catchy and straightforward and then Inside Out being very effects heavy and very interesting and having all all this weird stuff going on. Like I, I really like the harp solo that's in the beginning and then there are all these overdubbed vocals and layers yeah and don't forget that the song then has the synth harp that comes in later so there's a harp solo and then later in the song there's a this like weird synthesizer that sounds kind of harpy Mm -hmm. kind of a fun combination there and of course dave friedman to me is maybe better known as the producer on the last slater kinney album but i think there's a nice parallel there that boone i guess jumped ship to a new record label for this album on republic records and Slater Kinney had jumped over to Sub Pop and decided to go with a different producer. And in, in that case, I think they ended up with a more live sound from that really sounded like their live act. This definitely does not sound like a live act. It does sound super processed, but I think there are some, you know, some common threads in terms of even the songs that sound more traditional really are super amped up, almost clipping from the saturated sound and a really processed drum sound. That I feel like, so even though there's, I think, a kind of alternating between the more traditional spoon sound and the more spacey or experimental spoons down there, mm-hmm. there's still some hallmarks of the way that it's produced that are consistent. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the drum sound, and I think Jim, you know, you know, Britt Daniel gets kind of all the glory for being one of the two continuing spoon members, and I think Jim Eno doesn't get enough credit from being there from the beginning as the drummer, and he just really, his drumming style is just so, like, tight and not showy, but you you really hear it as a sort of something that grounds the sound. But anyway, I you talked about how this is kind of an arc of three different sections talking about the arc of a relationship. And I really like how this one, it kind of describes someone being in the stage of being mesmerized by someone. And I really like the line, there's intense gravity in you. I'm just your satellite. And it's like, it's very sweet and kind of like in outer space. It's, and then, But maybe not completely healthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it goes on to this next song, which is a very dramatic sort of all or nothing depiction of a relationship. And that's Rainy Taxi. I came home last night. I had no good news. I came home last night. I had no good news. And you perceived me through the brightest flash of
this song, we definitely return to the more traditional spoon rock sound, but a really edgy version of that, which suits the material so well that he's talking about this relationship that's kind of on this knife edge of it could be amazing and it's also about to fall apart. It is not stable. And, and so that's, I think that really matches well. Also, I'm a sucker for a song where he matches tune. I'll never sing another tune. But before that, he says apocalyptic ruin. And that's just, I love it. Apocalyptic ruin should be lyrics in more songs. (laughs) And I, 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 yeah, this is my favorite track on the album, by the way. That kind of off rhyme, I think, ties into a theme of the song, which is you're experiencing kind of a dissonance in the relationship and also there's a dissonance in the sound that goes along with that and ruin and tune aren't quite a rhyme and there are some lines that just don't rhyme all together where they should but they make it work like one of them is um you know when when you stand beside me i could tell i was stronger than i've ever been but if you're gone you know you don't come back and it's it but it works in the song and and just that weird plunky piano that's kind of like it, it it seems like if, if I were describing the song to someone who had never heard it, it shouldn't seem like it should work, especially with all the minor keys and the quick pace. But I think it works really well as a song. And I've done a ton of research online and I can't find an answer, but there's a Salvador Dali installation piece called Rainy Taxi um, that was three mannequins inside a car that was raining on the inside. There was like actual water coming down. And um, I don't know if it's, a coincidence or if he was actually intending to reference that piece, but no one can give me an answer and it's driving me crazy. So anyway, I would say that this song, you know, it's, I described it as being on a knife edge, but I think between that jangly piano that we heard a little of, and the fact that the song ends with run, 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 it just, it, it, I think it's really coming down on the side of this is not going to work, but undaunted in the next song, it's, Hey, let's start up another relationship. That is the track. Do you, Someone get popsicles, someone do something about this heat Cause it's late in October and Charles still melting in the streets You tiptoe for ages, but lose yourself Flipping back pages, unbuckling belts that's an example of another Dave Friedman produced track and I love the way the production effects work on this song and I actually think they're the most effective on this song compared to any of the other tracks on the album just the way that we have the kind of layered echoey vocals and the brushed drums and the way that almost all the effects drop out at the beginning of that excerpt that we just played and he says someone bring popsicles someone do something about this heat and then it just next beat it all comes back and it's just so effectively done and it really works in this song yeah there's this great tension between the the sunniness of the music and he's saying do you with this incredible sweetness and then the the questions he's asking are are you going to be here when it's black and blue are you here for a serious relationship are you just going to run away he's it's so the sound is so sunny but he's asking really adult questions and you know the weathered voice that you talked about 
really comes into play here that I think this song would not work if it didn't have that rasp to the do you. It's not a boy asking these questions. It's a man asking more serious questions. But, you know, there's definitely still, as you said, there's something about this heat. Like he's still, there's still a lot of passion here. And again, that great tension and also just great wording. I I love that phrase. Uh, Early in the song, he says, I was half out of the bag, which is a great inversion of that idiom. You know, it's funny. I actually read this as, maybe that he was addressing himself rather than another person. And maybe this is, I've lived in San Francisco too long, but we have the stereotype of Peter Pan syndrome of like, there's a lot of 40 something single dudes who are kind of in this serial monogamist sort of rut where they get into a new relationship. And as long as it's fun and things are light, they're into it. But as soon as it, but they can't quite deal with genuine intimacy. So when the relationship gets more serious or anything is demanded of them they just move on to the next person and that's kind of the accusatory tone that I got from the song because there's lines like you know do you want to get understood and do you quit when it's just getting good and it's just the idea of this person who can't really handle a serious relationship and you know I don't know anything about his personal life and so maybe I'm reading too much into this but that was just kind of the vibe I got from it but I I really like it yeah I think after these three songs that are all just these different vivid portrayals that I think are pretty obviously about the start of a relationship and a romantic relationship, I think the the song goes into this next stretch of song, or the album rather goes into a next stretch of songs that are, I think, a lot more ambiguous, but have a much more kind of, we're past the starting phase and more about hitting the wall in, in different ways. And I at least read them as being about creative relationships rather than romantic relationships, at least as the text. There may be a romantic subtext, but there's a song that I really took as the relationship of a band or of an artist to his collaborators and how that can be so challenging. And then a song that we'll we'll hear here about the relationship of a band to its fans and some of the challenges there. And I has a very different sound and so it has a great title that i think expresses that sound as well as the lyrical content and that is outlier you were smart you played no part you just thought what you thought yeah and i remember It's a very effects heavy, but it works really well to this song, which has just, I think, just as heavy effects, maybe a little bit heavier, but it just doesn't work for me. It's too washed out and it's too much. And, you know, one thing that I like about Spoon songs is that they give room to breathe within the song. The minimalism works really well. And I feel like this song is just too crowded. They were trying to pack too many things into the song and it doesn't 
doesn't really work well for me. And also, it has my pet peeve for this record, which is, I don't know, I think dissing Garden State at the beginning of the song. It's just a little too on the nose. And I know that's a movie that everybody likes to hate on, but it wasn't that bad. <laughs> that's interesting, because I, I did have that initial reaction a little bit. I'm like, come on. But I, I think when you listen to the song, so much of the... And even though there, there's the sound of it is very maximalist and just layered upon layers upon layers, and it's an outlier on the album because of that, I think... Uh, most of the album still maintains the spare sound, but it's a song about passivity. It's like, oh, you were smart and you had taste, but what happened to you? Like, you don't, it's it's all, and then most of the song is just that kind of repetition. And if there's a fault of it for me, I like it, except it is so repetitive towards the end. But the repetition is what happened to you? What happened to you? And that's about passivity and a, a different kind of kind of childishness. And I, I kind of came away from it after a couple of listens, turning it on its head that, hey, Zach Braff made a movie. And you're just complaining about it and go make something. And I'm making something. And Well, yeah. and, and if it's about sort of the experience of not making things and not doing creative things or contributing anything, you could also read it as kind of a pun on Malcolm Gladwell's outliers and people who do exceptional things. And where are they getting this exceptional talent? As like, here, you're someone who isn't doing anything exceptional. Yeah, but you sure think you are. <laughs> That's a good way to lead into the title track, which is basically about people who are soul suckers. Every time I hear that song, it reminds me so much of the snake oil salesmen that harass me on the way in or out of my building at lunch every day. They represent this company called Orogold, and if you've never heard of it, it's really awful. You can Google it. They basically sell these obscenely overpriced facial products that make a bunch of fake claims about how they include real gold, and this takes years off your appearance. Like it's magic and blah, blah, blah. And so they stand outside the store, and they, they try and push free samples on people, and they engage in this unctuous patter where they're just like asking you questions oh where are you from oh where'd you get your salad blah 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 and they're just really fake and horrible and I hope they'll die in a fire but this song really makes me think of them because it, I feel like they epitomize the sort of people he's describing that are themselves soulless and empty and they're just trying to feast off your creativity and human energy and you know it's just this exhausting exercise of constantly having to beat them back but, you know, in this song, he doesn't sound so much exhausted as defiant. Like, he want, they want his soul, but they're never going to get it. And, you know, I also love the fact that he does a callback to Jonathan Fisk, which is um, a reference to Kill the Moonlight, which is, I think, from 2002. And it's apparently about – a. the song is based on a guy who bullied him when he was a kid. And then apparently this guy contacted him later, and now he's a friend of the band. But apparently he's still a soul sucker in Britt Daniels' book. Yeah, they uh, the different number of targets mentioned here. He talks about street preachers and card sharks and just all these kind of street characters like you described and a bully. And in the same breath or in the same song, he's talking about, you know, organized religion and the way he paints that 
I just love this phrase, post-sherman socialites. That's I that same notion of it's minimalism. It's such a brief phrase, but it says so much. And it just really, you get so much of an idea of some of the stuff he went through and some of the hypocrisy that he experienced. By the way, he grew up in a very conservative Christian family. And so there's a lot of themes throughout all of the Spoon albums that are just rejecting religion in this way. Yeah, well, that, that rejection, exactly. I, I love that he says, you know, it's defiant because it's all they want is my soul. Like, that's all they want. And it's, I don't need to give it to them. That, but this, I think, ends this second group of songs that are a little more ambiguous and a little more kind of about big picture questions. And I took as being more about creative relationships, perhaps maybe stretching a little, but I, I like that take on it. But I think then we come into these last batch of songs that are, I think more unambiguously about romantic relationships again, although now we're talking about the ends of those relationships. Uh, there's this next track we won't play. It's a cover that I just don't understand that I heard it. I didn't know it was a cover at the time. And I just thought this doesn't really fit. The lyrics ha- have this obviousness to them that is not Spoon. And so it made sense when, I, oh, it's a cover. Now that makes <laughs> sense. It's an Anne Margaret song that was later covered by the Beatles. But, you know, I think it says something about Spoon as a band that even though it's it's a cover and it comes from a tradition of music that wouldn't seem like Spoon could cover very effectively, but they really turn it into a Spoon song. And I think maybe it's a little bit off of their kind of middle of the road Spoon sound, but I think they convert it into their universe very effectively as much as it wasn't great i will put in a word for the piano work on that track is really fun so and then after that cover we go into the penultimate song which is let me be mine what you love it will come back sometime lock it up what you love and it says let me be mine let me be Yeah, this is maybe the most straightforward pop song on the album, but I'm just the chorus is maybe the catchiest thing on the album. And it's about a breakup, but it's such a hopeful, even transcendent, just someone who who's at peace. And, and I think it's a really great take on that idea. And it's one thing that I, I think with this song is it seems like one of the more straightforward songs on the album, except then after this pretty normal and very catchy pop song, it, it, instead of finishing with that very catchy chorus, it goes back to the verse and then get layers on a lot of electronics. And that's sort of this very noticeable arc where it gets a little freaky at the end. But now listening to it, there's these little bits of electronic sounds mattered around during the first part of the song and then right before the chorus and it really helps build tension coming into the chorus and I think helps make the chorus exactly as satisfying as it is and so I yeah I just the 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 craftsmanship that goes into this it's maybe not as I said it's a pop song but just it's a really well crafted pop song you know if you kind of look back and take a look at where we've come over the course of the album um, I think the main question here is in they want my soul who is they and I think you made a 
compelling case for the idea that it's kind of about relationships. But I think there's also an alternate reading where this is kind of Brit Daniel looking at his career and the career of Spoon and all the people who have wanted to take his soul and how he has resisted that and finally come through and been successful. And I mean, this is a big started out in Austin, you know, was picked up pretty quickly by a major label. And then as happened to a lot of bands at that time, kind of just like immediately dropped and treated really poorly. And so they were picked up by Merge Records, who is an independent label that's run by MacMacon from Superchunk, who's, they have a really great reputation for really caring about their artists and making it a partnership. And they had a really long and fruitful run there. And then now they're back on, you know, a major label. This is a, a label that's a division of Universal Music Group. So, you know, they're kind of making good money now. They're successful. I think everybody knows who Spoon is. Um, at this point, and you can look at the album as an expression of Britt Daniel kind of being triumphant and being like, he didn't give up his soul and he stayed true to his sound. And at, even though Spoon has developed its sound over the years, I think it's recognizable as Spoon throughout. And there's a really strong through line that is his sound and or their sound and um, their belief in their art. Yeah, definitely. The the fact that there, that there are both these songs that are just straight up relationship songs at the beginning and the end, and then this middle section that I think does feed help. I mean, a, I think it, I read it as about kind of creative relationships, and that can include a relationship with your label. Um, but then also that because of those songs having that up to me much more upfront, but with some ambiguity, leads me then to even the songs that are about it on their surface about a romantic relationship. I think that there's that subtext of that creative I'm not disagreeing process. with you. I mean, art can be about different no, things. No, I, no, I'm, <laughs> I didn't time. think, I, I wasn't, I was, no, I wasn't saying you were. No, I, th I think that that's, I like that it has both those interpretations and that they both work and that it, you can look at it very on the surface as just like, oh, it's a bunch of love songs about a relation, romantic relationships, but there's enough and nuance there. And you can also there. look at it on the surface of being about religion and his rejection of his religious background, which is, I think, a pretty surface reading of it. Of you know, there's the title track, "They Want My Soul," and then going back to Inside Out, where he has a line about you know, they though they may wash my feet, they do not do not make me complete. And so there's like a lot of kind of references to religion throughout as well. And so I think that's another surface reading you can take from it. Yeah, it's it's good that there. Are, yeah, enough a lot of different meanings, a lot of different things to take away and a lot of things in this album to re reward repeat listenings. And while I, it ends on kind of this arc, the arc is complete. We set hopeful beginnings with a little bit of fear and then a lot of disillusionment and then breakup, but that the song does end on a, I think a song that's explicitly about a relationship, pretty nostalgic about you know, what might have been, but I, it's also ambiguous. I think it's, it's, it's nostalgic, but maybe it's also hopeful it's about fixing a memory in a time and place that you can't, you can remember, but you can't ever go back to it. Yeah. And that, yeah, these relationships and even the relationships that end, you know, they weren't failures necessarily. They're an important part of who you are and you'll always remember them and carry them into the future. And so why not do that with a, one of the more futuristic sounding songs on the album and, and the last songs. So we thank you for listening. And here's that final song, New York Kiss.
another place.